Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor, and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. There is a systemic change occurring in our food system. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, farmers, and others defining that future. In today's episode, I was really excited to speak to Jennifer Betker, who's the Chief Marketing Officer of Indigo Agriculture, which is one of AgTech's largest startups. Jennifer is an expert marketer with a career spanning many different industries outside of food and agriculture, most recently at StubHub, the ticketing software company. So it's really interesting to hear how she's come into food and agriculture today and why she's so excited about it. She does a great job explaining the work of Indigo that has transformed itself from a seed technology to now really a full service for farmers as well as a supplier of sustainable ingredients for food companies. I also loved hearing how Jennifer's own food preferences and experiences influence her work. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much Jennifer for joining me today. Thank you Lisa, it's my pleasure. So where are you based and what did you have for breakfast? So I am based in Los Angeles. I'm speaking to you from Santa Monica this morning. And the answer is um, a little bit of context. I had a small dinner party last night with some people who came in from San Francisco um, because their daughter is best friends with my daughter, and we moved from San Francisco. So they were having a little bit of a reunion on their spring break. And I brought home some roasted chicken and flatbread from a really popular place here in Venice called Justa. And so this morning we had leftover flatbread with um, mozzarella and tomato. So it looked like a little bit of a pizza for breakfast um, and chai tea. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, I was going to ask, is that something that you usually eat? But I'm guessing not. No, no, not usually. That's so funny. What what is your typical breakfast look like when you haven't got a delicious feast of leftovers? Mm, Well, it always starts with tea and Often it would have um, avocado toast, just, you know, a a baguette toasted with some fresh avocado. Or my children love French crepes, and I've become pretty masterful at making French crepes. And it sounds fancy, but it's really not super fast. So um, at least twice a week I make crepes or French toast. Delicious. I have discovered making pancakes for my son uh, as well, and it's definitely uh, dangerous territory to go down in terms of trying to shed the baby weight (laughs) so (laughs) what would you say was your favorite food and how would you describe your food preferences so my food preferences have definitely shifted since becoming um, a mom I'm, I'm much more particular about ingredients my favorite foods are still though foods that feel healthy um and fresh and um and are inspiring uh, that's probably the case for most things that appeal to me, things that are fresh and inspiring. So anything that I, that I would cook prior to kids and now sort of starts with the ingredients and some form of inspiration. So I have a lot of cookbooks and I'm a subscriber to a lot of um, food blogs and, and food magazines. I still like magazines. So my favorite foods kind of fall into a range of things, but that's the common denominator. Today, because of practicality, I'd say my favorite foods become a selection of my kids' favorite foods. And we, 
we do really put used to crepes. So we'll have them for breakfast, but we'll also make really great chicken wraps um, out of crepes. And then, um, and then we're also very, you know, handy with the crock pot. So I will make uh, stews or, um, or things that just sort of slowly cook. And often that's just a mixture of vegetables with some really simple protein. Sounds delicious. I would love to come for a meal at your house sometime. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're welcome to. So um, can you talk a bit about your background before joining Indigo? Because you, um, you haven't always been in the food industry, have you? I've never been in the food industry. I have spent my career in advertising and marketing, primarily in media and content, content companies. So I started early on in, in actually in an advertising agency and um, and that was sort of at the point where digital marketing was starting to surface. So I was working on IBM and some of the early ways IBM was marketing in digital and found myself at AOL pretty early on. And then AOL and Time Warner sort of in the portfolio of a lot of really well-known um, media properties, both print and broadcast like CNN, but then also the portfolio that, that AOL represented and um, and along the way, I've, I've you know I was in Sirius Satellite Radio as a paid radio business and helped bring Martha Stewart and Howard Stern into paid radio. I also was you know most recently the CMO, the global CMO for StubHub, which is a ticketing marketplace. So never in food, but always always working for uh, businesses that were going through some pretty rapid growth or transition, definitely businesses that had multiple product lines, sort of a portfolio approach, and and also businesses that were, you know, investing in brand building with multiple constituents or stakeholders. So in media, that would be your readers or your viewers or your listeners, as well as your primary partners in advertising and then your strategic partners in, in other marketing Efforts And so Indigo, it's really interesting because it is definitely a fast-paced business that is going through a cultural moment. Um, it's part of a cultural moment. And it's also a business that has multiple stakeholders and is really interested in building broad-based value. And so investing in the business's brand and also how we show up to all those stakeholders is really important to get across the kind of mission that we're on in in the moment that we are kind of facing opportunities to think differently about agriculture. What drew you to Indigo? Well, as a marketer, you know, at this stage in my career, I'm very much drawn to complex opportunities. And I'd say that the mission is obviously a very inspiring mission. Indigo is attempting to take on an opportunity to transform an industry that hasn't really been transformed, but doing so in ways that are very natural and beneficial, beneficial to the grower community, beneficial to the planet, as well as beneficial to consumers, the the ultimate uh, end user of the produce that's grown through agriculture. So the mission is very inspiring. The role is also very complex. I mean, attempting to be a part of a massive amount of change in an industry that is probably one of our most important systems to humanity 
um, is really also very exciting. It's a it's a challenging, it's a complex opportunity, and I'm I'm definitely drawn to those kinds of situations. And then I I, I also think the leadership that Indigo has pulled together is an inspiring uh, aspiring team. So it's the opportunity to work alongside people who will inspire me and also help propel me to show up as my best. Brilliant. Um, and I'd love to dig in a bit more into, you know, some of what you were talking about with the different stakeholders, because it's absolutely a, a complex industry to be in. But before that, uh, there's this quite large question that I ask um a few of my, well, ask every guest to um, paint a picture of what you think the food future food system could or should look like in 2050. So maybe you could outline two or three features that you think will be different from today. It is a giant question. And I listened to some of your earlier podcasts and some of what people have put forward are very profound and important thoughts. Um, not coming from food and being a marketer, I'm going to take a slightly different approach to the question. And that is, I'm, I want to think about how I respond in the framework of how I think about marketing or, or brand building. And so the positioning for the future of food. If I were to think about how how I would position the future of food, I would go through an assessment of, you know, sort of the SWOT assessment, the strengths and the weaknesses. And And within that, I I think that I'll answer your question. So first of all, the strengths of the future of food are that we are in a moment where food can be enhanced greatly by modern technology and science. We just, we know more, we have new tools. And obviously by 2050, that will just be um, even more so the case. In terms of the weaknesses of the future, future of food, you know, there is a possibility that by enhancing, you know, and bringing more forward technology and science, that there could be a loss of some of that more emotional or cultural resonance that that is really inextricably linked to food. Um, Food is obviously something that has, it's a global system. It, you know, it has different resonances in different cultures and parts of the world. In fact, the people that I had over to dinner last night told us that they were moving to Barcelona from San Francisco, and um, and he said the reason we're moving to Barcelona is because of the food. <laughs> like, so there's definitely there's definitely something to be said about the cultural resonance of food, but but the possibility of losing that is definitely a challenge. Um, in terms of opportunities, for sure, there's an opportunity for food to show up um, in a more scaled way to solve for some of our biggest problems. And also to be more um, to be more nutritious, to to do more for us, and um, and then the threats that are facing that opportunity and and all of those situations is the fact that we are in a rapidly changing world with climate um, as a big unknown, and you know, and a little bit of this is a, is a little bit of a sneak peek into the mindset of Indigo. It's possible that we may not be thinking big enough. And also that the system that supports this um, future of food is one that really needs to be maybe reimagined because it hasn't evolved tremendously to be able to show up for who we are as a planet and a population today. So when I think about that situation, I think the future food system will definitely have to be made much more transparent 
Um, I imagine that the quality of food will be prioritized. Um, I'm hoping if indigo is, is even an, an ounce successful, which I hope are more than that, but if we're successful in reimagining uh, a food system to be beneficial for the growers, more beneficial for them and more beneficial for the planet and also show up as uh, a healthier choice for consumers that the quality of the food will have been prioritized. And, um, and so I think in, in all of that, I can probably elaborate, but I just want to check in with you to make sure that, you know, I, I've set that up to be able to kind of answer the question the way you were hoping me to. Yeah, no, that's absolutely great. I mean, it's always really interesting to see how different people approach this topic. And, you know, obviously, food impacts everyone's lives um, and from different angles. So it's always important to hear the different uh, attitudes towards it. Um, and what I was going to follow up was to say, you know, that, you know, it's a big challenge ahead. We need a lot of people to be acting um, on this challenge and to be getting involved. And it's always great to see people like yourselves coming from other industries into this. And so I'm wondering, do you do you see that talent pool uh, increasing? And do you think that people um, realize the importance and also the opportunity in joining the food and agriculture industry at this time? If our recruiting, I'm building the marketing team here, and um, and if our recruiting is any indicator, for sure, I think there are going to continue to be people from other sectors who show up and want to apply their expertise and their enthusiasm to this space because of its importance. But there's also a whole generation of people who may not be bringing um, a bench of experience, but are who, who are bringing a personal passion to this. And we, we see that in the Indigo employee base as well. There are, um, there are a lot of really young, talented people who are here doing the work because the work is so important. So for sure. Um, and, and yet we all have experiences that we can draw from. So I am a firm believer that food is a connecting force in our global community. And I've already shared that I'm a mom, but obviously I'm a daughter and I'm a granddaughter. And my my grandmother made food for us that we all looked forward to. Um, you know, it was sort of as soon as you walked in the house, you knew that my grandmother was in the kitchen. And um, and so I can remember, you know, Mother's Days of past. In fact, one particular Mother's Day passed where my aunt got all of us together at my grandmother's house. And she published all of my grandmother's recipes into individual books for all of us. And then we we all had the opportunity to spend the day cooking those different recipes with my grandmother. And, and when I say, you know, I, I hope we don't lose that because that's, you know, that's what all of us bring forward to imagining what then the future could be is we bring that relationship to culture and, um, and culture and food kind of are interwoven. And those relationships are really important, but they all also have an impact on who we are and where we came from. So I, I think that the I think there's many people who can show up in this space because they have so much to draw from. Yes, exactly. Everyone has their own personal experience with food. I mean, so if you listen to David Friedberg's podcast, he was saying that he thinks there might not be a need for kitchens in the future because you could have your food manufactured or your your meat cultured in a you know a manufacturing place down the road and then delivered to you by drone and 
does that kind of image uh, concern you? It sounds like, you know, you have quite a quite a close relationship with food and, you know, a romantic notion around it, too, involving family members. I do. But I also have I also appreciated his his line of thinking for the the health impact. I mean, I, you know, all of us, not all of us, but, you know, at least in my circle, there's there is a tremendous amount of value placed on selecting foods and diets that we feel are mapping to our own personal um, composition. And I, I value that in his line of thinking. The idea of not having a kitchen, for sure, makes a lot of sense, especially in some of the larger cities that have giant populations, and, um, and it just sort of feels like a lifestyle. But then that won't apply everywhere. But as I thought about it and, and sort of going back to the dinner party of last night, you know, if Rosie the robot literally rolled around my dining room table and, and sort of pressed the button for all of the eight people that were sitting there and we each had something different, in that context, I wonder about the shared notion. And, and shared could be lots of things. We could all be talking about the taste. Um, we could all be, you know, sort of having our own interpretations of that of that taste. We could all also be talking about where did this come from, um, you know, what what grower or what techniques, um, you know, it it's its taste is so unique and and sort of bringing that connection forward. Um, I think is is one of those things I wouldn't want to see lost, and that is definitely a romantic vision. But but I I also think the opportunity to have things tailored to our, our own health needs is really profound. And perhaps it's really just the mixture of that. Maybe, maybe our breakfasts or our lunches are, um, are more designed that way and that there are moments where we have, you know, sort of a more traditional and romantic experience around food. But I do think that there's, there's something around the transparency and the quality that equate to the experience, and and that is, you know, just that notion of of where did this come from? What does it taste like? And how was it combined with other things to create an, an experience? Now, those are those are weaving together the the technology and the innovations with that romantic vision. I think. Yes, absolutely, and I love the idea of Rosie the robot. <laughs> She sounds great. Um, so what would be great now is if you could explain what Indigo does, um, because there are many different parts to the business and you're an expert marketer. So it'd be great to hear in your words, you know, what the what the business is. That's no pressure. Um, so Indigo, Indigo is a mission driven business that is attempting to reimagine the system of, archi- of, of agriculture. And, um, and I, I guess the word architecture does have a role to play in that story in that we are, we are showing up with different solutions across the entire supply chain in an attempt to stand up a set of or a scaffolding, if you will, um, that allows for a systemic change. So we are um, harnessing nature through microbiology and providing growers with Uh, microbial treated seed solutions that can grow in stressor environments in ways that are more um, likely to succeed with denser crops, higher yields, and higher quality uh, output. But we're also allowing for that produce 
to then go to market in ways that protect its inherent value. Um, so we have a digital marketplace solution, and we also have agronomy services that are empowered with digital tools to help growers um, think very holistically about their farm and their field, but in ways that are really tailored to their individual needs and challenges. And, um, and then we also offer logistic solutions so that that produce that is grown and transacted can then arrive um, at the locations where buyers are seeking out that premium product. And then, um, and then as a part of that, we're also imagining ways to help growers adopt practices that continue to add value to their fields. And those practices are um, any combination of things, but the ones that are really paramount in our mind today are practices that feel regenerative in nature. And, um, and are putting, are designed to put health and life back into the soil, um, all with the intention of creating a more profitable solution for growers, help them grow crops um, that have higher yields and can be, you know, garner a premium in the market. But also because that's the right thing to do for the earth. And, um, and also, you know, ultimately we believe that healthier soil also leads to more nutritious um, produce. So we are we are experimenting and asking questions along the entire supply chain. So so you kind of wonder, well, what does that look like? Well, we are um, we are scientists, we are technologists, we are engineers, we are marketers. We're applying our expertise to a series of questions that are all around what does a more beneficial agriculture system look like, and can we help to catalyze that or bring that about? And so we've put forward, I think it's almost 11 different business solutions in that question, excuse me, in that question alone. And we'll probably put more forward. Um, we don't imagine that we're going to be able to solve or reinvent agriculture by ourselves, but we do want to take responsibility for asking some of those important questions and applying the resources that we do have to helping put forward some solutions. And those solutions so far have been the series that I've shared with you, the microbial seed treatment, the digital marketplace, the agronomy services, um, the data-informed solutions with our, our Atlas um, service that is a, a, a satellite-based technology, as well as um, transportation logistics and a soon-to-come kind of focus on helping growers imagine or re adopt regenerative practices. Fantastic. I mean, as you said, that's a that's a lot of um, a lot of different products. And as I followed the journey of Indigo, it's been so exciting to see what what's coming next um, with certain deals, you know, kind of almost out of the blue and um, and then realize that they actually fit into uh, the overall mission. Um, so how can we, you know, predict what will come next then? So I love that you, I, I love that you make small reference to deals. I, I'm really excited about the partnership that we recently announced with Anheuser-Busch. Um, and I imagine that that, that will, uh, hopefully we'll see more of those. But our most recent partnership demonstrates that there is also a, a demand from consumers for the things that we, together with our grower community, are doing. And that demand is for more transparency, more sustainability. I, I think it's even broader than that. And I, I feel like 
consumer market, you know, we as people probably wouldn't say it this way, but it's, it's in my mind as a marketer. I believe that the, I believe that we're lacking a language. Um, I, we, we understand organic, we understand sustainable. Um, in some pockets, we think about holistic, and in some pockets, we think about regenerative. It's showing up more specifically in beauty. But, but overall, I don't feel we really, um, we, I don't think we have the language to connect the consumer's demand. They know, we know as consumers, and I'll speak, you know, as we, we know that we want more from the food that we are eating. And, um, and yet I don't think we know how to ask that. Partially why I don't think we know how to ask that is we've just gotten a little bit too far away from where our food is produced. Um, we think about it as potentially being, you know, on the shelves of our grocery store or at the market and the farmer's market. But, um, but it's not often that we actually show up at the farm. And it's not often that a chef says to us, you want a spinach omelet, you know, go and grab some eggs from, from the chickens and, you know, and bring me some fresh milk from the cows and go pick some spinach from the garden. Um, but if we were asked to do that with every meal, obviously we would be reminded where our food comes from. So I think at this point, what you'll see more is I think we will start to see that consumer demand come through less as signals and more as a real language. And I, I hope that we can help to bring that about because ultimately I see consumers and growers as sharing much more common ground than the current agriculture system really allows us to see. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, when you were describing Indigo before, um, you know, it sounded like this was, you know, this is a service for farmers predominantly. Uh, and I'm sure that is the case and will continue to be the case in many ways. But equally, you're saying that you are, you know, the consumer is also your Absolutely. client. Absolutely. And increasingly so. Um, you, you saw that in, in, in sort of a little bit of a step removed relationship with Anheuser-Busch, where Anheuser-Busch is procuring sustainably produced rice to, um, to brew beer. Um, ultimately, that beer is for consumers. But we do imagine that, that we are going to be helpful in connecting consumers with the grower and, share, and finding that common ground. And it, it can be in the form of consumer products, and it can also be in the spirit of wanting our agriculture system to be doing more for the planet and doing more for our population, our, our growing population. So there is a there there is a very kind of shared mission, as well as there is a, a more practical way that we imagine you know showing up with with food and fiber solutions that meet consumers' demands. Right, right. And and so why does Anheuser Busch want to be sourcing your um, more sustainably grown rice? So isn't it exciting that? Today, I drive down the 101 from, you know, from the west side to my house, and I see a billboard that is not just marketing beer in sort of the, the romantic and beautiful or sort of sun-drenched kind of lifestyle moment, but it's actually marketing beer for what's not in it. Um, and and that's, a, that's a moment. You know, this is this is new. So talking about you want this beer because it may not have corn syrup in it, or you want it because, um, because the practices that went into the ingredients are practices that align with your belief system. 
that's a really new way of thinking about marketing beer. And it's going to show up in how we market other things. Um, it's obviously already showing up in how we market clothes, but it will, um, it will also show up in, in, you know, potentially how we market our flour and the, the cookies or the bread that we're, that we're eating. So I think that Anheuser-Busch is ahead of the curve on that. And, um, and I'm proud of the work that they're doing to sustainably produce beer. Um, and that's why they're, that's why they're partnering with us because we have the ability to source rice in ways that holistically solve for their procurement challenges. So we can, we can work with growers to um, grow rice in techniques that have more natural solutions with less input and then harvest them and logistically get them to the places that they need to go to be brewed. So, um, so it's really an intact solution that we can offer to Anheuser-Busch. Yeah, it's, and it's, it is really exciting. You're right, because I think a lot of the big food and agriculture companies have been paying lip service to sustainability in many ways. Um, you've had you know, departments focused on it, and they've done a certain amount of monitoring of the practices that their growers are using. Um, but I think actually implementing any changes in those practices has been very challenging. Uh, and I know I've been very surprised with the advent of a lot of digital tools that they haven't been able to you know, really help um, make some changes there. So it's an interesting concept that the Indigo is becoming, you know, that kind of procurement provider for them, one-stop shop in a way, to give them those sustainability metrics that they want internally, but also that their consumers want. Yeah, I think you've hit, you've hit it exactly. And that is, there are many one-point solutions that put the burden of, kind of stitching them together or applying them into a complete solution, either on the buyer or the grower or both. And, um, and so Indigo's theory, Indigo's belief is not to show up with one point solutions, but to be able to show up with the complete solution in a way that can be tailored to the buyer's needs and obviously to the unique needs of each grower and their, their field. Um, so it's not, you know, I think that that inherently is a giant solve and it may not sound as as sexy, but the data is in there for monitoring and the guidance is in there for being able to think through the, the application of the system in a unique way and the growing techniques and the um, and the naturally coded microbial seed treatment is in there, as well as the, you know, the ability to um, actually test the product and then get the product from, you know, where it needs to go. So that whole system is a reflection of what you asked me earlier, which is, you know, what is Indigo doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, so you're the, um, the chief marketing officer, and you have all these different stakeholders that you're marketing to, uh, which now we've, we've, you know, discovered is across the gambit of the supply chain. Uh, that is no small small task. You know, how do you go about that? Um, I mean, you know, Indigo's always done a great job with their communications, but just wondering what's your, you know, how can you build on that and, and how do you approach such a, such a broad customer base or audience? Um, I love yeah. that question, and I, I hope your, your audience, your listeners will appreciate it because it's such a marketing answer. But I equally have a system to our marketing strategy, um, so I'm marketing a, a systems business, and I, I have a system 
So we are um, we are we're doing quite a bit in in a number of ways, but I see all layering together to create a you know a dimensional canvas. We are on the sort of broader and maybe most meta level. We are having conversations with others in the form of um, events and um, and also conversations like we're having now in podcasts, talking with others about how we imagine together a more beneficial agriculture system. And I'm hoping that those conversations are going to help to develop that language that I spoke about earlier. We can't literally publish a dictionary, but we can certainly have conversations like the one we're having now that, that help to bring some of that learning forward in a way that others can um, appreciate and adopt for themselves. So we're looking for, we're looking for partners and conversations and showing up in those places. We're also um, thinking about our brand and we're doing a lot of work on our brand. When I look at our brand, I think it's a really curious brand. It's a brand that's asking important questions and how we can, how we can be responsible for asking those questions and solving into them. Um, so we're developing a, a system around our brand that sort of, you know, really draws on that DNA. We are also doing quite a bit on exploration of um, consumer demand signals. And as a part of that, there's a project that we're working on with a design firm to, to understand if, if growers can be incentivized to adopt regenerative practices that put um, more carbon back into the soil and we can help to, you know, get growers compensated for those practices. Um, do consumers care? And how can consumers care? How can consumers actually um, direct their belief system around this food space in a way that does find that common ground with growers? So we're, we're attempting to unearth some of those signals in, in that project. And we're also obviously marketing every single one of our offerings um, to help the grower community appreciate what it can do for them in, in a very collaborative way. So there's quite a bit of, of showing up on the field, showing up in places where growers are seeking to understand. Um, and so, and then obviously in places like our Anheuser-Busch partnership and others, um, we're thinking about how we can co-market and, um, and bring forward some of the, you know, some of the solutions we can offer to our buyers and helping them be successful is also going to obviously close the loop on that, on that whole system. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm always really intrigued about getting the consumer more engaged with the farmer. You know, we hear, you know, consumers want to know more about where their food comes from. But, you know, anecdotally, you know, I talk to to friends about, you know, I've, I've been focused on agriculture for over five years now. But equally, of course, I'm also focused on food. But people often don't put the two mm -hmm. together. Uh, so they'll they'll associate me with you know agriculture and ag technology whereas actually of course I'm, I'm covering a food and food technology too and so that divide is still very much there even though consumers want to know that they've they're getting you know well-sourced food and it's sustainable but they're not necessarily going that bit further to really engage with that farmer so it's, it's interesting you're doing that work I'm just I'm wondering how you see that trajectory uh, of consumers understanding that and, and being interested in the farmer an important trajectory and I, I see pockets of it. So there is a grower um, in I think South Dakota um, who 
is doing a lot on the regenerative side of things and has become a pretty go-to resource for other growers to learn from. And, um, and his son actually started a direct-to-consumer digital platform. And so I thought, well, that's really interesting because on the coast we have farmer's markets, but it may not, it may not feel the exact same way. So the fact that there's a direct-to-consumer commerce platform coming out of one of the biggest um, farms in the middle of the country, I think is an interesting signal. We're also, we've heard from consumers in some of the work that we're doing that they really want and understand how to, how to um, direct solutions with their dollars. They understand voting with dollars, but there are so many one point solutions that we're almost, we're, it's almost like a, a consumer that is motivated to vote with their dollars has to hack together how they do that. So we've heard from we've heard some consumers have spreadsheets where they're tracking, you know, what they're doing in their behaviors, but also where they're putting their dollars, how they're shopping. Um, but there's no one way that that is connecting it all together for consumers. And then we talked about it earlier. You know, there's a whole generation that's growing up that thinks their food comes from the grocery store. And um, and if we say no, the cereal in that box came from wheat. That that the concept of what wheat is doesn't resonate. So there is a there is a real need to educate, and there's a, I think an opportunity, especially with young families or, or or new parents who immediately click into that space of wanting to know where their food's coming from, what they're putting in their baby's mouth. That um, that maybe we can help with kind of educating them immediately because they're really in a state of real need and awareness um, at a moment that's super important for them. So I think there are pockets of signals that we're picking up on that are increasingly turning into a language, but it is going to, it is going to require you and the conversations you're having and us, the conversation we're having now and other conversations to, to come forward, just like the billboard on the 101 that, uh, that AB InBev has taken out, that it's, it's happening. Um, and I think it will only accelerate the more we can put forward consumer learning and also consumer offerings and mechanisms for consumers to connect their actions. We people, I, I speak consumers, but for all of us to connect our actions back to uh, a way of translating that into what is happening on the farm. So we all know the, the thing about a plane and the thing about a car and how that connects to um, putting carbon into the air and, you know, and climate change. But we haven't actually started talking about how the agriculture system could actually be solving for that is a part of the, is a part of the challenge, but also could be a really big solve. And so once we start coming up with those um, data points that connect it together and, and then put the language around it, I think that that's where that's where it all starts connecting agriculture and food. Absolutely. I think you're you've hit the nail on the head in terms of there's just so little awareness of the potential benefits of agricultural product products or um or practices on the environment. Um but I I almost feel like that piece there's something that needs to come before that which is just a kind of overall more consumer engagement with agriculture and then um that would be easier to to communicate because you know it's it's super complex. Um and I think that's one of being one of the challenges for for the food industry and the agriculture industry in terms of that consumer um interaction has been the complexity uh you know people will will switch off if it's not something that's an easy uh, story to tell 
Um, so that's you know very exciting that you guys are working on that. We're we're running out of time, but I, I would love to bring back to uh, some of your thoughts around food and food trends. So I have a hot or not round um, of some recent food trends. So it'd be great for you to tell me if you think they're hot or not. Okay, that sounds fun. <laughs> so starting with fermented foods, I think it's hot. Gluten free. Uh, it seems sleepy to me. Plant-based meat. Oh, very hot. Robotic cafes. Mm. In, That's Rosie yes, the robot. It is. It making is making your morning yes, cappuccino. Um, I think it's hot in certain markets. Interesting. Can you? Yeah, say more there's about um, that? there's a lunch spot in San Francisco that I used to frequent, and you'd walk in, you'd place your you'd place your order on an iPad, and then you'd stand and look at a wall of little doors, like little oven doors, and there would be, you know, constant lighting and, and changes in that in that tapestry of doors, and ultimately your number would come up, you'd walk up, and you'd take out your meal. Um, super convenient, also really kind of fun, um, but made total sense for lunch in San Francisco. Like, um, I'm not sure that I really want Rosie the robot serving my dinner party at this point. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Alcohol-free drinks. So drinks that are meant to give you the experience of of alcohol but actually have no alcohol. Oh, I think that sounds super hot. Grass-fed meat. Doesn't fall into hot or not for me. It feels really important. It feels humane and um and and healthy and a part of a larger system that is that is right for the earth right for the animal and and obviously hopefully in in harvesting you know right for the consumer as well meal kits it'd be nice you mentioned if people don't have a really easy way or a convenient way convenience is in some ways the villain that's gotten us to where we are um and so I love the fact that meal kits can be both convenient and high quality. They can be conven- convenient and educational. Um, they can be convenient and, um, and inspiring. So I don't know that I call them hot, but I, I think they're smart. Great. Well, thank you. So to finish off, I'd just love um, a bit of advice that you might give to uh, someone joining the food and agriculture industry for the first time. Um, Maybe it's a graduate or someone that's already been in other industries. Um, That would be really great. Well, my advice is the advice that I received, and that um, that is to not lose your fresh perspective, but to to get out on the field and, and, you know, meet with farmers and experience what they go through. It's really fun and enlightening uh, and important to do to be able to really round out your perspective. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been um, really, really interesting and loving hearing your fantastic description of Indigo's business model. Uh, it becomes clearer and clearer every day um, and is really exciting. So thank you so much. Thank you, Louisa. It's really fun to chat with you as well. You've been listening to Future Food with me, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. For news and insights on the food tech and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.